Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast. I am your host, May Claire Bolton Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with Core Logic. In this podcast, we'll have conversations with industry experts about key topics from housing affordability to the impacts of natural disasters on property. For this episode of Core Conversations, we want to take a more global perspective and look at economic trends. With the onset of the global pandemic in March, much of the world undertook significant measures to help stop the spread of COVID-19, from mandating masks to complete lockdowns. And while this was helpful at protecting the health and safety of people, the economy took a hit. Today, I want to talk about the extent of this impact and how it differed between the U.S. and Australia. And with that, I welcome two of CoreLogic's most influential researchers, Dr. Frank Notaf, Chief Economist, and Tim Lawless, Executive Research Director for Asia Pacific. Frank and Tim, thank you so much for joining me today on Core Conversations. Thanks, May Claire. Uh, thanks, May Claire. It's um, looking forward to the conversation here with Tim. Sounds great. So this is a first for us on Core Conversations to have two guests. So we'll be sure to get both of your thoughts today. So, but just to get us started, can each of you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role here at Core Logic? Frank, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Chief Economist at Core Logic, and as you know, Core Logic is America's largest provider of property technology and data analytics. I lead the economics team responsible for analysis, commentary, and forecasting in real estate insurance and mortgage markets. Fantastic. And Tim, what about you? Thanks, May Claire, and, and g'day, Frank. Um, I've, I've uh, been at CoreLogic now for 13 years and been analyzing Australian housing markets for about 20 years. My remit at CoreLogic is to, uh, similar to Frank, is to look after research uh, across both Australia and New Zealand and also extending over to the UK as well. And uh, I think as we go through the podcast today, we'll find that uh, maybe surprisingly, some of our, our markets are, are very similar. That's great. So let's dive in. Can each of you start very high level on the broad overall impacts the pandemic has had on the economy? Frank, let's start with you since most of our listeners are in North America. Uh, for sure, yeah, and it's had a huge impact on the overall economy here in the United States. Uh, uh, let me illustrate by just what's happened here in the labor market. In February, before the pandemic hit, uh, the unemployment rate was 3.5%, a 50-year low here in the U.S. And in two short months, by April of 2020, the unemployment rate had spiked to 14.7% an 80-year high. And with that, 20 million Americans lost their jobs. They were out of work, and they, had, they were facing a huge income shock. Uh, in terms of overall uh, GDP, gross domestic product, which is the typical economist, the measure of uh, economic growth and activity, the economy shrank at a 31.4% annualized rate in just the second quarter of this year. So it was it was a huge hit on the macro economy. We've never seen that before. Wow, that's that's unbelievable. Thank you for that. And comparatively, Tim, what did you see in Australia? Well, after listening to Frank, I, I thought we were doing it tough here, but uh, um, Australia hasn't been impacted as much. We've seen GDP come down by about 7% over the June quarter. So you can annualize that. Uh, and we're getting close to a... Um, you know, a 30-odd percent uh, drop in GDP through the quarter or annualized. 
But we've also seen households really reverting to, to savings, deleveraging. Uh, consumption has dried up as well. We saw retail spending initially surged before the, uh, before the lockdowns as people stockpiled, but then absolutely plummeted. Uh, jobs markets haven't been hit quite as hard either. We've seen unemployment move from around 5.5%, getting close to the 8% mark, and we've seen about 7% of Australians lose their job as well. But most of those job losses were in the more highly casualised sectors of the workforce around hospitality workers, arts, recreational services, that type of thing. But all this hasn't really lasted all that long. We've already started to see the economy starting to pick up a little bit, mostly thanks to the fact that we flattened out the virus curve quite effectively and quickly. That's that's great. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more, too. And I think, you know, the way that each country has responded and has been a little bit different. So I think we'll get into some of that. I, I think the timeline uh, in terms of the effect on the economy was pretty similar, though, in both of our countries. Uh, and I think that has to do with kind of the rapidity with which the pandemic spread across the world. Uh, the World Health Organization declared a global pandemic on March 11th. And just two days later, here in the U.S., the president declared a national emergency. And, and so I think the timeline of the effect has actually been probably pretty similar in, in both countries. Yeah, I think especially in the early phases and uh, Australia moved into very harsh lockdown situations from um, uh, very, very early in May. And then that lasted through to early, um, uh, sorry, early April and then lasted through to early May. And that gave the economy a chance to, well, first of all, shut down and, and flatten out the virus curve. But since about uh, June, July, uh, we've been starting to see Australia's economy chug back into life. In fact, it's been very regionalised and very localised, depending on where lockdown situations have either been implemented or relaxed. So markets like Perth or Brisbane or Darwin have actually seen housing markets bounce back, bounce back to record highs, whereas in markets like Melbourne or Sydney, which are Australia's two largest cities, where the virus has been a little bit more uh, um, aggressive, we have seen further lockdown situations, which have uh, seen economic conditions um, much uh, much weaker. And, and that that's interesting. That's a really good segue, Tim, of where I want to go next is looking specifically at the housing market. So let's start with you. If we look at how is the housing market specifically played out through the last eight or nine months since the onset of the pandemic? If I cast my mind back to, to say, March, when we were all thinking the sky was going to fall, uh, our view was that housing prices would probably fall by around 10%. The reality is we've seen about a 2% drop in housing values from peak to what looks like a trough um, about a month and a half ago. And now we're starting to see housing values around the country either rise or at the very least stabilise. So the, the, the decline has been, been quite mild, to, to say the least. We've also started to see activity bouncing back quite quickly. So that's probably where we've seen a lot more volatility is that home sales uh, fell by more than a third between March and the end of April. And then as restrictions started to ease, we started to see activity coming back into the market. We started to see more new listings coming in the market. But maybe the most surprising thing is that buyer demand has really bounced back on the back of extremely low interest rates. And we're actually seeing more buyers in the market now and fresh inventory being added, which means that uh, total stock levels are actually really tight. And that's probably one of the factors that's helping to support this uh, this new wave of price growth. Wow, interesting. So Frank, was it similar here in the US? 
Yeah, it's, it's really so interesting, Claire, because uh, what Tim described sounds so uh, similar to what we've experienced here in the United States as well. Uh, and of course, we started off with a proliferation of shelter-in-place directives by local jurisdictions across the United States. Uh, not everywhere in the U.S., but uh, uh, in uh, various uh, markets around the country. And, uh, you know, here in the U.S., kind of the, the, the first outbreak that was really recognized or recorded was up in the northwest in Seattle. And then, of course, we had a big outbreak in, uh, in the greater New York City area. There was an outbreak in New Orleans and so on around the country. And that's really, uh, really what, what uh, led to this proliferation in many jurisdictions of shelter-in-place orders. And likewise, we saw a big contraction in the housing activity. And the timing, gosh, the timing just was just seemed so terrible because that's the start of our, our national spring home buying season. So the, the, the whole housing market, the real estate agents are all ramping up uh, in, in March to get ready for April, May, June, when we have usually the big boom in uh, home sales and housing activity. Uh, but just as they're ramping up, that's when we had the, uh, the, the shelter in place, the shutdown. Open houses were canceled uh, in many places uh, in the latter part of March. Sales fell sharply. They fell about 50% relative to the same week a year ago during the month of April. Um, and we saw new listings just totally dry up. Uh, you know, no one wanted to put their uh, list their home for sale during a pandemic. Uh, they didn't want uh, strangers that they didn't know traipsing through their house. So, um, so it was really uh, quite a dry up in activity. But just like um, Tim explained in Australia, we also had just an impressive rebound. Uh, partly it, it was supported by the Federal Reserve here in the U.S., cutting interest rates to record low, unprecedented levels. And we've seen mortgage rates here in the U.S., similar to Australia, just fall to a record low level. Here in the U.S., as you know, the mortgage rate fell to below 3% for 30-year fixed rate mortgages. Uh, and that's been a shot in the arm for uh, home buyers. And we saw a sharp snapback in uh, purchase activity uh, toward the end of May, and but then into June and throughout the summer months with uh, sales now running above the same level of one year ago. Wow, that, that's incredible just to see how quickly it bounced back. And I know that the just the whole market itself was looking like it could be quite dismal and it's really, really been the opposite. So you talked a little bit about how the, the process of trying to purchase a home has changed a little bit with um, open houses being closed and such. Um, we, in episode one of this podcast, we talked a little bit about the home buying process itself and we got into some of those factors that could help during the economy. And I know here in the US, the we talked about the CARES Act was brought in to help protect homeowners. Uh, are there other pieces of legislation federally or locally that have stepped in to help? Fiscal and monetary policy really work together to fuel the recovery in the housing market. And I mentioned the, um, the, the Federal Reserve had already cut uh, interest rates to uh, record low levels. We saw mortgage rates below 3%, again, record low levels. And that was a powerful uh, stimulus 
to, to get home buyers back into the marketplace. But in addition to that, we did have a very powerful fiscal policy expand, uh, expansion. The, uh, with the CARES Act, there was a total of about $2 trillion of uh, uh, money pumped into the economy. Some of that was through the um, income tax refund for eligible taxpayers. Some of it was through the enhanced unemployment insurance payments for laid off workers, the extra $600 per week for those workers who uh, qualified for unemployment insurance. And then in addition, there was the Paycheck Protection Program, which was a series of uh, loans to small businesses to maintain employment levels here in the, uh, the US economy. So those were really all important steps that really helped to pump a lot of money back into the economy, help uh, maintain, um, to some extent, the income levels of, uh, of families who were experiencing a huge income shock from loss of work, and, and also the lower interest rates, all working in concert to really help to support the uh, rebound in housing activity. Wow, that, that's really promising to hear. Tim, what about in Australia? Did you have similar programs in place? It's, it's actually strikingly similar. Uh, we saw the same monetary uh, policy responses virtually instantly. Uh, at the moment, Australia's target cash rates down at 0.1 basis points. So it's uh, extremely low. We've seen mortgage rates move down to new record lows. Uh, the mortgage environment's a little bit different in Australia. Most borrowers would be on floating or, or variable rates rather than really long-term fixed rates. Anyone who's on a fixed rate, they're generally three to five years rather than 30 years. But those three-year fixed rates are now getting down to the very low 2% range, even some with a one in front of them now. Uh, but outside of that, um, that monetary policy support, well, in addition to the, the other monetary policy support, of course, has been the first time ever we've seen quantitative easing coming out of the Reserve Bank. We've seen a, uh, a term funding facility ensuring liquidity for Australian lenders to make sure there's plenty of, uh, of credit available for those that want to, uh, to lend at extremely low rates. And then from the fiscal perspective, we've seen the real focus as being on supporting jobs. So a JobKeeper program where, uh, just as in the US, uh, a lot of workers have been getting income supplements, um, or that actually goes via the employer. Uh, we've been seeing also a lot of stimulus directed specifically at housing, uh, particularly housing construction. So a home builder program where you can get a $20,000, $25,000 lift if you're going to do a, um, a new build or a substantial renovation would be a good example of that as well. And then on top of all that sort of fiscal and monetary policy support, we've also seen the prudential regulator over here, which is APRA, has come out and they've loosened up some of the banking regulations as well, which just makes it a little bit easier for lenders to ensure that credit is flowing as, uh, as, easy, as easily and quickly as what it possibly could be. So it's uh, all those factors combined have really uh, what's kept housing prices quite stable, if not actually putting some upwards pressure. But a lot of those fiscal support policies now are starting to wind back. And this is going to be the real test of the marketplace over here is how does it function and how do we see the trends at a time when there's less fiscal support in the market? That, that's really interesting and, and really just a, well, first of all, a bright spot through a lot of the pandemic and with a number of people out of out of work and uh, people fearing to lose their homes probably just have these programs in place to help through. But now to see what's this going to mean moving forward now that some of these programs may no longer exist. So 
Let's let's get into that a little bit more. So you you both noted that the housing markets in both the U.S. and Australia have held up, held up remarkably well through this period of disruption and all the uncertainty. We're currently sitting in November. Um, are we out of the woods now, or what's the outlook on the housing market conditions for the next twelve months or so? Um, Tim, why don't why don't we start with you this time? Well, it's pretty clear the market uh, in Australia is gathering some momentum at the moment at a time when we are seeing this wind down of fiscal support. And at the moment, we're also seeing the expiry of all the, the mortgage repayment deferrals that were granted as well are starting to, to run out. And what, what I mean by that is in March, it was announced um, that anybody who was experiencing distress through the COVID period in their mortgage repayments could defer their home loan uh, through initially through to the end of September. That was then extended um, through to the end of March of next year. But through the end of September, we did see all the lenders moving through a six-month check-in period. And uh, uh, I think the good news there is we are seeing more and more of those deferrals moving back into a repayment schedule now. Only about uh, 7% of mortgages are now under a, a repayment deferral. So it looks like the headwinds of more mortgage deferrals expiring or fiscal stimulus winding down are probably going to be outweighed by just the stimulatory, stimulatory effect of extremely low interest rates, economic recovery, improving consumer sentiment. And our view is we probably will see some further momentum building up in the marketplace, definitely not moving into a boom, uh, but coming into the second half of say 2021, we are expecting that there is going to be some broad-based growth in the Australian marketplace simply because interest rates are going to remain at their very low levels probably for the next three years. That, that's great to hear. So, Frank, uh, what about here in the U.S.? Well, you know, we've had a really strong rebound in the housing market, and that's been also reflected not just in home sales but with a quickening in home price growth. So we've seen in our CoreLogic Home Price Index here for the U.S. that annual home price growth has really gone up uh, pretty significantly over the last few months. Um, now, that's partly because inventory for sale on the market has shrunk a great deal. Inventory for sale is down about 25% from the same time a year ago. And that's one reason we've seen this acceleration in price growth. However, I think that acceleration in prices is just temporary. And as we get into 2021, we're expecting some slowdown in price growth. And over the course of 2021, uh, our forecast for the national home price index for the U.S. is just for a, you know, a pretty flat price growth, uh, you know, a, little bit, uh, a little bit above zero, <laughs> but between zero and one percent in terms of price growth for the year as a whole. So, so a, a much more of a slowdown, and I'll tell you why. Partly it's because the unemployment rate remains really elevated here in the United States. Uh, so even in September, the unemployment rate was 7.9%. That was more than double what it was in February before the pandemic. So there are many workers who are still unemployed and unemployed for an extended period of time. And it's gonna take uh, a long time for some of those people, especially in industries and occupations that have been hit hard by the pandemic, such as travel, tourism, entertainment, to, to get back to work and to start to repair their own personal finances. So that's gonna be um, a, an ongoing drag um, on, on, the, on further housing demand. 
And of course, for uh, many of those borrowers who've been impacted by the pandemic recession and who have mortgages, we've seen a huge spike in delinquency rates. Um, now, fortunately, under the CARES Act, there is uh, an, a 12 months of forbearance provided to those borrowers who have a federally backed uh, mortgage loan, and that'll help them initially through this very challenging period of financial stress that they're going through. Uh, but many of these borrowers will be coming out of that 12 month of forbearance uh, by next spring. And I'm concerned that they will still be uh, challenged in their ability to make mortgage payments. And so we're going to see very high levels of delinquency. And we're expecting by the end of 2021 to see more than 2 million home loans that where the uh, borrower is uh, at least 90 days delinquent. So there's still some challenges out there in the marketplace. Um, uh, so some slowing of home price growth, an elevated level of mortgage delinquency. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, continuing solid uh, increases in home sales for those prospective home buyers who've kept their jobs, have ample income and financial savings they'll be looking forward to uh, buying in the market because mortgage rates will continue to be really, really low. We expect mortgage rates to remain below 3% for 30-year fixed rate loans uh, pretty much throughout 2021. It's such an interesting situation to be in with mortgage rates being so low and the housing market staying pretty strong, even though there's less inventory available. But those concerns you brought up are are real challenges and are concerns. And, and I think, you know, focusing on some of those concerns, we're just now heading into what some researchers are calling the second wave of the virus. Do we think that this is going to throw us back into a similar situation that we saw in March, or are we going to be spared from the big impact that we initially saw back in March? Wow, that's that's the uh, that's the million dollar question, I suppose. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, there is so much unknown, unprecedented, and uncertain with the uh, pandemic, uh, and how um, you know what to what extent the second way will uh, impact uh, all of us. Well, one thing that is true now is that I think the medical community is better prepared. Uh, they do have uh, some uh, treatment protocols available to, uh, to help. And we, we know as a population that uh, wearing masks and taking certain precautions will definitely alleviate the, uh, the spread of the virus. Uh, there was so, uh, so much that was unknown uh, when uh, the, the um, pan pandemic started. Uh, and so we're, we're smarter now. Uh, we don't have a vaccine quite yet, uh, but we are smarter. And I think we know uh, what we should do to uh, help to uh, moderate spread of, uh, of the virus. Uh, still, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. So that's what makes it really hard to... Uh, predict how how the economy and how the housing market will perform. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot of really good points there. And, and I think it is good that we've learned from this first round of the pandemic and, and we are smarter uh, approaching certain things. Tim, what do you think in Australia? Is it similar? Do you think we're, we're getting there? But 
there's still there a lot of unknowns? Well, the uncertainty is is palpable, that's for sure. And uh, that that risk of the virus re-emerging is always there in the background until we have a vaccine. We know from the second wave that Melbourne went through just recently here in Australia, that it was very similar to the first wave. It was an economic shutdown in many ways. Um, Households were, were, were virtually locked down for a bit more than a month. And we saw that reflected in both economic activity, in retail activity, and in housing market activity, which which virtually stalled through that period. So, it definitely shows that um, uh, the I guess the the outcomes or the outlook for the housing market and the economy are intrinsically interlinked with the outcomes for the virus. And uh, you know, if we all do the right thing and, and keep a lid on the virus, that's that's the best way to ensure uh, um, recovery. Yeah, that that is that is we hear that with so many things. If we all just do the right thing, we can try and get the virus under control and every part of our lives can try and be whatever normal is again. Uh, So I guess just as we close off today, um, is there any key points that you'd like our listeners to take a bit take away really about what the impact this pandemic has had on the state of the economy? Frank? Well, uh, one, it certainly has had a significant impact on the labor market and economic performance. But I I do want to mention that I do think the economic recovery that we're in right now will continue in 2021, and we'll see the unemployment rate gradually move lower. We're not going to be back to pre-pandemic levels anytime soon. I think that's not going to come until 2022, Uh, but the overall economy will improve. And then secondly, we've seen, we've seen this record low level of mortgage rates. I do expect low mortgage rates to prevail over the course of the next year with 30-year fixed rate mortgage rates below 3% through the most or all of 2021. And finally, home price growth, which has been so vibrant uh, in recent months, I do expect home prices to continue to rise in 2021, but at a much more modest pace. I think we, we, we uh, I think the greater growth of home prices that we've seen in recent months really is not sustainable uh, for the longer term. So we will see some uh, moderation in price growth. That, but the, the moral of the story of what I heard you talk up there about there, Frank, is it's positive. It really does look to be a positive outlook for the future. And that is something I think a lot of people can really get excited about after all of the uncertainty and the, and the pain that so many people have been through this year. Tim, what, what about you from a, an Australian perspective? Again, it's, it's really similar to, to Frank's comments. Um, the next six months will be characterized by uh, a variety of headwinds. Um, similar to the US, it's the labor market slack that's, uh, that's probably going to be most uh, most challenging. Uh, we're not expecting unemployment to come down swiftly at all. This will be a very gradual process, uh, which means that wages growth will probably remain quite benign, if not even negative. But on the positive side, uh, we are expecting interest rates to remain low for probably at least the next three years. And by saying that, uh, Um, I don't expect rates are going to rise from their super low levels. And the Reserve Bank of Australia has been very clear they won't lift rates until inflation starts to get back into their 2 to 3% target range. That's definitely going to take a couple of years or until labour markets or and until labour markets start to reach full uh, full employment, which implies an unemployment rate around 5%. It's going to take some time to get there as well. So it's my view that those those tailwinds of, uh, of very low interest rates, of economic recovery, 
of uh, additional um, uh, fiscal support that was announced recently in the federal budget, I think there'll be enough to outweigh the headwinds, but we're not expecting uh, uh, an extremely strong rate of, of growth in housing markets at least until we start to see the economic recovery and labor markets tightening uh, more so than what they have at the moment. Yeah, thanks for that, Tim. No, that is the the key point really is, you know, this the impact that the unemployment has had and the impact on the labor market is huge, but not all doom and gloom. There does, as both you and Frank did mention, there's a lot of positive with the outlook on the housing economy and with mortgage rates continuing to stay low. Hopefully, you know, the future is very uncertain, but um, there's some positive moments to look forward to. So this has been so great to have you both here. Thank you both so much for joining me today on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Thank you, McClare. Thanks, McClare. Thanks, thanks, Frank. So for more information and insights on the property market and the housing economy, please visit corelogic.com slash insights. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode looking at both the U.S. and Australia and how the same global event has impacted each of them. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.